too often times we're trained in what's broken, how to fix it. And we ask the wrong questions. What's wrong with people? Let's really spend a lot of time leveraging what we're already wired to be good at and spend time developing whatever those strengths may be. So today we're going to talk to psychologist and author, Dr. Derek De La Pena. Dr. De La Pena is the author of the book, Simply Positive. After talking to Dr. De La Pena, we will speak to Jennifer Shimmick and Cindy Dalmelin about how they plan to implement this book on campus. Okay, so Derek, introduce yourself. Hi, yes, I'm Derek De La Pena, and I am, first and foremost, let me say, really happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. I've never done a a podcast and, and just want to thank all of you and Alvin College for, for, for having me. And so, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a regular guy. I, I, I think of myself as a, the standard faith and family guy who um, I'm married. My beautiful wife is a, a lawyer, a hardworking lawyer. That's important for me to emphasize because I have to support her through her career, oftentimes with positivity. She has a very, very challenging job. I have uh, four beautiful children. Uh, my oldest is, I have a 16-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter. I have a 11-year-old son and a 5-year-old daughter. And so we have our hands full uh, juggling children and, it sounds and, like it. and careers and trying to stay positive through it all. So give me kind of your professional background. Yes, yes. My professional background is psychology. I started off uh, with a master's degree in psychology. I went to Stephen F. Austin State University Mm -hmm. and changed course. Initially, I was going to be a clinical psychologist and uh, discovered sports psychology. Went to the University of Florida and did a Ph.D. in sport and exercise psychology. And for many years was, in my mind, uh, the pathway I was on was to be a sports psychologist, work with athletes and performance-based things, and did that for some time. Uh, and then found my way back to academia. I was, um, I was a tenure-track professor for a number of years at the uh, University of Houston downtown uh, in 2006 through 14. And through time and changes in life course and, and kind of a vocational identity crisis, this consulting side to me always was pulling me, pulling me back to that realm. And for a, a time, I was I was going to be just a consultant. And then mm-hmm. academia, um, I missed the, the students, I missed teaching, I missed the lifestyle, and it lined up with um, our family goals and, and, and just everything from supporting my wife to dropping off kids and being an effective bus driver for them <laughs> and their lives, right? And so I've, I've just enjoyed teaching at the community college level for a number of years now, mm-hmm. going on seventh year, and, and, uh, and life's been good. Life yeah. has been good, uh, not without challenges, plenty, plenty to, to cover there, as we all have. And, and, and certainly this book that I ended up writing really focuses in on challenges and how to stay positive through all the things we all go through. And some of your teaching, by the way, included here at the college, correct? That's correct, yes. In fact, when I moved to Houston, initially I was going to live in Austin. I graduated from University of Texas in Austin, and, and I started working with their golf teams there and mm-hmm. had some success there and was going to live there. And then I got engaged, and, and my wife got uh, into law school mm-hmm. and, and at the University of, of Houston. And so that was my first really stage of the book because I started to think a lot about my happiness plans and ambition and 
life goals and and her simultaneously and they weren't exactly lining up and so I had decisions to make there and so I left my my dream of living life in, in Austin and came to Houston and so back in 2002 this was actually the first college that I came to mm-hmm. I just drove up and dropped off my resume and uh, met Miss Nancy Loeb, used to teach out here in psychology, right. and yes. she was just wonderful, and, and we got to know her well. And and so, yeah, I hung out here and, and taught a, a, a number of years until I got a full-time job at University of Houston downtown. And so, yeah, Alvin has a yeah. special place in my heart, certainly. Right. So tell me about your book, um, kind of what, what drove you to write it and kind of how you got here today with it. Absolutely. Well, first and foremost, what drove me to start it was I discovered the positive psychology movement, which I actually wasn't terribly aware of, which began in the late 1990s. The then president, Dr. Martin Seligman, um, started a movement, a research based that looked at all the research in psychology and noticed that it was very imbalanced in terms of there was so much more focused on the abnormal side of things. Why do people have so many challenges and how do we fix them? Really the abnormal side of of life. And he decided to really challenge researchers to focus on the flourishing life. Well, hey, there's people that move through life more effectively than others. What is it about them that makes them tick? And so I I discovered this field as I was working on my doctorate in sports psychology, but was kind of already on a pathway doing my own thing with athletes and what have you. And it really wasn't until I started in 2006 at UH downtown and I learned about positive psychology, the field, and really dove into it. So back in 2007, I was able to teach a class there and really started to learn about the research mm-hmm. and and how much was really out there and was that important to you that this was not you know like a norman vincent pl thing where he's just kind of pushing this as a <laughs> dogma that this was really more of a that's right and research and issue. this was research based i'm i'm a bit skeptical because i'm trained in academia and so mm-hmm. we look at well what does the research well, say you need the empirical that's basically. exactly right what does the empirical research say and how does it line up with this positivity And so I started studying a lot of different positive frameworks and ways of thinking and what have you. And through time of teaching that course back in 07 through 2014, I made my own tweaks in the process, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll use this, I'll change this. And that's one of the things that I've learned about positivity. I say, look, there's a a science to this, but there's also an art side to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in the science first. Tell me about the science first. And then let me meditate on that, see how it applies to humans, apply it to myself, understand it from that standpoint. And then from there, what are the internal processes and things that can help me manage myself, whether I am using the science or not, because I didn't use everything I learned about, Mm. right? And nor do most people, right? Even if you give them the science, as we give our students the science as much as we can, oftentimes they take it or leave it, but at least knowing what the science is, right? And Mm. so that was the, the big thing. I wanted to be part of this positive thinking movement, particularly as time has gone on in the last number of years, things on the news, right. social media, you name it, it, there has been a distinct negative slant. There's been so much divisiveness. There's been so many challenges that we're facing today that we, we didn't face 20 years ago. A second was 
uh, my mother. Like this book was about um, a character named Joyful Jane. And my mother, I started to think she was, she's having some physical health challenges in recent years. And there was something inside me that said she's not going to live that much longer. Right. Mm -hmm. Through COVID, I thought for sure she was going to get COVID and it was, it was going to be a done deal. And, and she of all people has um, been the biggest influence in my life in terms of sacrifice, in terms of encouragement. And I was like, you know, my mom's a hero to me and she should be a hero to everyone. You know, I look at academics and I'm like, you know, academics are heroes to me. My mom's Mm -hmm. a hero to me. And she's a big reader. Mm-hmm. And I had this vision of her sitting on the couch reading a book in which she was the main character. Mm-hmm. And so that was the big driving motivation. And, um, you know, it's amazing how life works because my mother passed away this, this January. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to call her Joyful Jane for eight months. And, um, you know, I'll, I'm trying not to get emotional here. and <laughs> step away from the mic because <laughs> it gets me every time yeah. thinking that, you know, I had that opportunity. It came, it passed, it's over. But I'm so glad I got to pull it off. I'm just very blessed that I got to experience seeing her on Mother's Day when I gave her this this book, uh, the last Mother's Day we ever had. And it was it was special, you know, it was special. Well, the book's called Simply Positive with, you know, positive hyphenated. So mm-hmm. lay out for me kind of what you... What, I mean, you're, you're posing as an acronym. So what does it stand for? Yeah. So one of the things about me is I forget things a lot and I use acronyms all the time to help me remember things. As I studied positive psychology for so many years, I kept notes and through time, I noticed that the letters kind of started to spell positive almost on their own. Right. And, and so what they stand for, and I'll briefly define each. It's, it's a framework, right? It's a framework to think about positive thinking and doing and, and, and emotional statuses, et cetera. And so the, the P stands for positive emotions. And, and there's a lot of research out there. Dr. Ba- uh, Barbara Fredrickson was the, the leading professional in research in this idea that positive emotions matter. And she came up with this three to one ratio that people mm-hmm. that flourish through life seem to have plenty of these positive emotions in their life. Doesn't mean they have all positive emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So like the three to one ratio is kind of the benchmark to think about. And so the science of positive emotions is very intriguing to me. And this idea that we need a certain amount, arguably, in order to flourish, right? I break the emotional concept down into two parts, joy versus happiness. And so there's essentially two gears that human beings, if you really think about it, what gears are we in? I like to look at two. One is a happiness gear, which is about ourselves, right? Mm. It's about the way we want things to happen. Um, Everything from our careers to our relationships to the weather, uh, you name it. And when things go our way, we experience this emotion of happiness. It feels good. There's a feel-good component that comes with it. I look at what are the important components to happiness, the main ones that we need to nurture and what have you. But think of happiness as having to do with things going your way. Okay, you can control a lot of things, but a lot of things you cannot control. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then joy, the joy gear is, is a relationships gear. And if we can think in terms of other people, other people matter. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Chris Peterson was the author of the textbook. He's passed away. He was a great researcher um, at the University of Michigan. He, he wrote a textbook called a, 
a primer in positive psychology. And, and throughout that textbook, he had his mantra was other people matter, your relationships matter. He's focused on relationships constantly. And when you look at flourishing people, they have effective relationships. They affect others effectively and what have you. And so relationships matter in every single belief system that you can possibly find, right? Mm -hmm. So if we just think of it real simple in terms of, and I use an acronym, uh, joy, jubilate others as yourself. And so if you think of your joy gear, you want to think of anything that has to do with thoughts, feelings, actions that have to do with considering other people, right? And investing in other people effectively. So each one of these chapters is going to be hard for me to be short-winded with each, but that's the P, that's the big one, <laughs> right? Like positive emotions. And then the second one, um, academics will appreciate this because this is one that is based on science, but I also have my own spin on it. And it is this idea of both optimism and hope. What exactly that means, we get into that in the book, and it would take a while to explain each of those. <laughs> but when you think of being a teacher, like my, my wife is a lawyer, and one of the things that we have discovered through the years, when she hears me talk about my job versus her, she makes a lot more money than I do, right? But one of the things she has emphasized through the years is I have a lot more fulfillment than she does, right? And she's like... You, you influence kids' lives. You're changing the trajectory of, of, of their life. I'm not doing that. She's a contract lawyer. She's like, I've got these mm -hmm. contracts I'm trying to resolve and get this party their money and that party their money, and I'm trying to find the problems, and I get paid for it. Mm -hmm. But I don't have what I term here the O for optihope. And what, what, I, what this word means is essentially you know, people that are encouraging hope and optimism in others that comes with something that comes with some fulfillment doesn't always happen right away mm -hmm. but that's why we do what we do and that's what keeps us going i'm convinced that all humans need this on some level on some level where you're whether you're investing in groups of people or just one person at a time so the s is strengths you know every human being has strengths we have challenges we we're not perfect at everything but every human being is designed with these potential strengths that if you discover them and you nurture them and you make them part of your daily life, in your relationships, on the, in the workplace, and they're part of your world as you move through your days, that's a big deal. Okay? Too often times we're trained in what's broken, how to fix it, and we ask the wrong questions. What's wrong with people? Why am I messed up? And so in this chapter, you know, the questions that we ask, well, no, actually, what's, what's right with people? What's mm -hmm. right with ourselves? And let's really spend a lot of time leveraging what we're already wired to be good at and spend time developing whatever those strengths may be. And manage our weaknesses. Make no mistake. Right. We, need to, we need to manage uh, our weaknesses or we'll have blind spots and, and what have you. And so we spend a lot of time in this chapter really emphasizing strengths. Now, the next, the next three, I'll, I'll try to, I, the I, the T, and the I, I will try to kind of explain at one time, okay? So the I stands for intentionality, okay? And so with the first I, if we can think in terms of intentionality for ourselves, right? And, and the things that we want to get done, whether it's losing weight or getting a certain job or improving your golf score or, or whatever, right? Just think of intentionality in terms of, self so kind of intentionality happiness plan whereas the second one and we call this the internal initiative and there's some complexity to it but to simplify think 
intentionality directed towards enhancing other people's lives, right? Like, what does my intentionality look like when I start my day? Am I thinking of others or am I just thinking of myself as, mm -hmm. I, as I go through my day? And, and, and the T is, is actually, a, we call it together work, right? It's a, it's a process that looks at what are the most important factors that we have to nurture daily from both joy and happiness standpoints and in, in the t chapter this together work process you know first of all keeping it all together it, it takes work right mm -hmm. like for all of us and so if you really were to break down what are the important factors we break we look at five factors right and the first three come from a theory called self-determination theory from um ed dc and richard ryan and it's a it's a very prominent theory in psychology that looks at human flourishing and motivation and the argument is that there's three important factors that humans that flourish tend to have going for them, okay? And, and, and one is this relationship thing. They call it relatedness, okay? Relatedness is a big factor, okay? And so we've talked a lot about the importance of relationship. Uh, competence is another, right? Feeling effective, feeling smart on the job, you know, finding, nurturing your talents and, and mm -hmm. exercising them on a daily basis, right? This, this competence thing. And then the third factor is autonomy. Autonomy is this idea of, of, of having freedom to do the things that we want to do in life, right? Mm. To be able to flap our wings in the direction we so desire. And, and so we don't like when people tell us, hey, you need to do this with your life or you need to do that. And, and you know, there's something about the human species. We're like, no, actually, I want to do this. Mm -hmm. I want to do that. Autonomy and all of these three can be looked at from both joy and happiness standpoints. Now, the other two, quickly, uh, our physical side, taking care of our physical body is important, mm -hmm. right? It, it's gonna matter. If you, if you have a bad back, your day is gonna be more challenging than the person that doesn't have a bad back, right? And so taking care of our physical side of things matters. And then finally, our money, our money and material things, how we look at that, how we, um, are we good stewards with our money? What are we spending it on? Is it just ourselves? Is it, is it um, endeavors that are, are positive, et cetera? And so when you look at these five factors and you look at intentionality for yourself and others, you can break down each one of those components into either a happiness perspective or a joy perspective. So if you think in terms of there's 10 factors there with that together work model, five happiness factors, five joy factors, and, and you know the, the autonomy and the competence one for me, vocationally speaking, you know, I'm convinced if you have a, a family with two semi-ambitious people that want to do things with their careers, inevitably those careers are going to collide. And so in my case, um, it was one of these deals that the things my wife wanted to do and the things I wanted to do were not lining up to raise a family. And, and I, I'll never forget well, I don't know exactly when it happened, but it, it had to do with a moment when I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to try to sell my plan to my wife mm -hmm. and really push it? Um, or am I going to sacrifice a little bit here? And, you know, and so in that, that time of life, in that season, I really had to dig deep. And ultimately, the internal answer was, you're going to need to sacrifice a little bit, buddy. You're going to have to sacrifice. Now, there's a fine line between joy and happiness. I have really, really noticed as since I published this, boy, there's a fine line between bitterness and joy because of our own happiness plans. 
and there's there's times to this day that because of some of the sacrifices I made, I still want to do some of these other things that I never got to do. Right. Whereas my wife, I mean, if, if you were to sit down with her, she has hit all the check marks. She's one of the few people I know that, and she's a lot younger than I am. She's seven years younger than I am. I'm like, wow, you're seven years younger, and you've accomplished all your goals. That's mm-hmm. impressive. And she's like, yeah, but I don't have this OptiHope thing that you have, right? She was my editor of the <laughs> book, by the way. So she calls me on, on all of these well, things. lawyers know the how to edit. Absolutely, these. they do. When we start to really think about things that sacrifice matters, and it was my mother who sacrificed her life for myself and my sister who went on to become a dentist, and she's had a, a great career. And we, we, give it, we give the credit to my mom, who unfortunately was divorced, didn't have a degree, had to go to school, had to sacrifice the things she wanted to do to, to become a, a teacher so she, her schedules would line up with ours, right, in the summertime, right? She could take off time and, and, and do her thing and so what have you. And so as you can see, each of these letters, when you start moving through them, they will elicit thoughts and emotions, and, and you start to question your own pathways. Is this a joy thing? Is this a happiness thing? And so for me, I've been able to go, you know what? I've got a lot of joy that a lot of people don't have. Mm-hmm. But if I become bitter, that joy goes away. It, it doesn't exist. And so you have to conceptualize things effectively. So when we get to the V chapter, the V chapter, uh, the title is Vulnerability Victory. You know, vulnerability, if you can think in terms of we all have challenges, we all have things in the past that we wouldn't tell the next person, right? Because uh, um, it would just be too uncomfortable. It would bring up too much pain in different ways. There's research that suggests people that have relationships where they can share vulnerable things with people and work through things. They're ahead of the person that bottles everything up and doesn't share anything and tries to handle all their problems on their own. Now, vulnerability, in this chapter, what we, we define vulnerability victory as this idea that First of all, it's a conciliatory process. If we think it's of a process that we're going to be friends through this process, whatever the, the issue may be, and we're mm-hmm. going to try to resolve some painful challenge. Anything that is really strikes a deep chord that is painful. And the victory side of it is like, look, if we can work through this effectively with both parties, whether it's two people or two groups of people. If we go into situations with this idea, but there is victory in this conversation, we just have to have effective strategy. So for example, there is a concept in the vulnerability uh, victory chapter that I think is just absolutely key that we hone into, all of us. And it's this idea that if we're going to do this, we need to have a process and some agreement on how to do it effectively. And there's a concept, I use an acronym called ADARAD, A-T-A, ADA RAD and, and RAD stands for re, uh, respectfully agree to disagree and ADA stands for agree to agree. And so if we have an, a strategy that says, look, we're going to try to, in this vulnerable area, we're going to look for agreement first. So right now there's a hot topic, the Roe v. Wade abortion thing, right? I just need to say that. And all of a sudden, emotions are going to get going fast. And one of the postings, I saw this coming from a a long time ago. I made a Facebook post a while back about pro-life versus pro-choice. And I kind of introduced this concept of Adirad. And I said, did you know that both parties agree that life is very important, right? The pro-choice is very focused on the life of the pregnant mother and her life and the things going on and all the challenges she's dealing with. And that 
party that is supporting her, if you're very pro-choice, if you're in line with that, it, it, you're going to support that life. Well, the pro-life is like, well, hey, there's a life that's in this womb and we're going to fight for that life, right? So both parties are fighting for life. So we can both agree to agree that we both care about life. Whatever party you're at, whether you're in the middle, um, whether you're on extreme on one side or the other, there is agreement that life matters there. Now, the rad part, the not radical, but <laughs> respectfully agree to disagree. This is where we's, we've lost our way as humans, it seems. We don't respectfully agree to disagree anymore, it seems. It seems like, nope, if we disagree, we're just going to fight. We're going to call each other names. We're going to character shame. We're going to call each other all kinds of negative words and really look at each other from a negative standpoint if we don't agree with each other. And the reality of it is, even the closest humans, even take identical twins who are going to agree on most everything, at some point they will disagree with something mm. in their lives. And so I have found this to be a very effective chapter with our, I, I'm the head of a, a positive thinking club at my college, at Wharton County Junior College. And when you preface things with students, okay, vulnerability victory is a touchy topic. We're going to have victory if we can know that eventually we're going to respectfully agree to disagree. But we're going to start off with agreement. We're going to actively look for agreement in the things that we're talking about. And so you bring science into the equation and hang out with the scientific findings of things. And all of a sudden, you can have conversations that are effective. And I have seen students effective with it and walk out of the door, even though they're in disagreement with mutual respect for each other. And we need this kind of coaching in our world, period. Because mm -hmm. if we don't get it out there, I just think we're in trouble, right? And so this last chapter, E stands for, and this is in quotes, enjoyable endurance, <laughs> right? Um, endurance is something when you think of grit, like to get through life effectively, we all need to have a little suck it up. I mean, it's just life is hard, yeah. period. And so um, this enjoyable in quotes is, you know, first of all, it's this idea that enjoyable endurance is this internal sustenance, this inside stuff that we're capable of having with each other. We can get through hard times together, right? And so the whole idea is what are the things when, when, when we're really sucking wind, when life's beating us up and we just need to grit it out and we need to you know, conceptualize things effectively, reach out to others and move through life and have a little bit of fun. You know, I think of my life and growing up in the 80s and, and 90s and what have you, it certainly wasn't perfect and I had plenty of hard times, but I had a little fun in the process when I still keep in touch with my high school buddies. You know, like my best buddies from high school, we were on a, just yesterday, going back and forth on this um, group chat thing. And, you know, I have a lot of people when things get dark that I can reach out to and, and they can make me laugh and, and, and bring up old times and jokes and make mm -hmm. me smile and get those positive emotions in there during dark times. You know, this past year has been, has been a tough year for me since losing my mom. It has not been easy, but it has been one of the more, more rewarding years that I've experienced one because of this book once i've come out in the open with these concepts i've seen people gravitate to them and, and use them and, and enhance their own relationships and what have you and it's been fun it's been a fun year for me now i'm, I'm just coming off vacation as well month of <laughs> june that I, I really need it so <laughs> that helps too everybody can change their lives by committing to being a little more positive and you know encouraging yourself is is key if you can start with encouraging others you will find that you you almost always have control of that. One of the things about the happiness side is there's factors we cannot control. You can't control if you get COVID. You can't control if it 
Well, you can try to control with mass yeah. and what have you, but it, I mean, it's so many people, including myself, have, have been affected by it, right? And so, you know, things with happiness, we can't control a lot of things. We can't control the weather. We can't control all kinds of things. But we can control encouraging others. One of the things, if you make that a goal in your life, like today I'm going to encourage somebody. I'm going to do something. I'm going to hold the door open for somebody. I'm going to encourage in some way. You will find with that internal locus of control that is so key to a positive, flourishing life, if you can take hold of that and understand, hey, there's joy out there. Um, I just need to, to do my part. you know. And so be encouraged. Let's encourage each other. And this has been great. You know, one of my hopes was like, let's get some concepts out there. But really, what's more important than the concept are the connections, right? You make connections with other humans. All of a sudden, life changes and it gets better. So it can get better for for everyone. Yeah, I appreciate you all having me on. That's what I said. Thanks for coming today. I appreciate it. Yeah, this has been fun. So Jennifer, Cindy, tell me why you feel this book is important to bring to the campus. What was... The concepts that you felt like everybody needed other than just, you know, the core idea. Well, for me, I think it was to build community and the skills for positivity, which is what we've put um, in the grant to get this up and off the ground. So we need a plan and we need some instructions Mm -hmm. for positivity. I think we're, you know, coming out of the pandemic. You know, there's a lot of different things going on in the world, a lot of challenges. And so... I think this book gives a good plan of instruction instead of just this overarching, be positive, you know, how do you Mm -hmm. actually do that? You know, what are the tools and the skills that we need? So, yeah, I really, one of the things that kind of catches my attention, you know, we teach in general psychology, some core components of, you know, psychology. One of them is uh, the human flourishing, which, Mm -hmm. you know, the book talks about that. And and we talk about the science of human flourishing, but this book will make it more personal and it will actually give students application. And another thing we talk about in general psychology is nature nurture. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we're seeing in science is that nurture plays a big part um, in how we develop. And if we can provide uh, uh, um, tools for creating a more positive community, that's going to benefit us. Um, We know that emotional intelligence improves our success, you know, so working out uh, our emotions, um, and it makes us feel better. So I I like, um, you know, the idea of fulfillment in what I do. It's not just teaching these concepts, but giving students something that kind of just the light bulb goes off, they get it, and they want to apply it to themselves. And so I I think this this book is going to help us to do that. You know, Derek was talking earlier about the research behind it. You know, in an education, they have, there was a big focus on learning outcomes and, and data. Do y'all feel like there's any kind of way that you can measure the impact that this could have on the, on the staff and the students here? It's funny that you mentioned that because when we met with the leadership teams here at the college, one of the things I did was give them a survey by Barbara Fredrickson on positivity Mm -hmm. and kind of say, where are you right now? And let's do this again later on and see where you are. So we are hoping to maybe, you know, do some informal kind of surveying and, you know, who knows, maybe something more formal might come out of it. Pre-test, post-test. Yeah. Bring in that empirical Just as basic measurement. Yes. And share those results, you know, with students and in the college. I'm excited about this. And I, I think the theme, you know, we are hoping to carry over this positivity theme into our next walk for wellness, you know, be it the pathway to positivity. And 
I think just to open conversations with one another on campus, there's going to be built-in accountability, you know, book clubs, having conversations and, and letting, giving others the chance to talk about the challenges. You know, this is not an easy thing. You have, there's a lot of intentionality mm-hmm. um, behind it. And I think just to all, you know, to recognize and learn, go through the process together, I'm super excited. Uh, about that yeah and speaking of the intentionality one of the things that you know kind of strikes me I've seen some research that would suggest that you know our brain doesn't hold on to positivity you know our brain has a tendency to hold on to negativity and things that could be harmful to us Mm -hmm. so if we want to create positivity we're going to have to be intentional Mm -hmm. and so by by you know reinforcing this with something that's personal something that gives you some tools that you can apply to your daily life I think that's going to help all right. Well, I want to thank everybody for coming out today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. This is the first part of a conversation on the podcast about positivity on campus. To read about these stories and more, visit alvincollege.edu.